This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You're listening to another ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Are you frustrated and confused about how to attract new clients? Nothing you have done is working and you're tired of waiting for the phone to ring. Imagine learning the tips and tools that will help you get noticed and booked by your ideal client and paid what you're worth for your amazing services. Now's the time to make your dream a reality and the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show will teach you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Hi and welcome back to another show. Now, has the thought of expanding your business internationally been on your mind for some time, but something you haven't taken action on? Well, my guest today is Callum Lang and Callum has started, built, bought and sold half a dozen businesses in a range of industries across two continents. So someone that is well-versed to share advice on expanding our businesses overseas, especially in Asia. Callum is the owner of Fitness Buffet, a company that delivers employee wellness solutions across 12 countries. And now Callum continues to support businesses to get launched in Asia. And on today's show, Callum's going to be sharing the trends and opportunities in Asia, the value ladder guide to growing your business, as well as small business mergers and acquisitions, the ultimate partnership opportunity, and so much more. So we really welcome you to the show, Callum, and look forward to hearing you share your expertise. Thank you very much, Anne-Marie. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Now, tell us a little bit more about the reasons why you really encourage businesses to start looking at opportunities to expand their business in Asia. First started looking at Asia probably about fifteen years ago. I was I had my own company actually in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. and but already then, so so way back, sort of late late nineties, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about how all of the big macro trends were pointing to Asia. You know, the the biggest shift in wealth in history, and just you know the the burgeoning population here. So I was already kind of quite. Being a bit of a business geek, I was kind of, kind of interested in in what was happening here. So, I moved over here thirteen years ago, thirteen and a half years ago. And I think for any entrepreneur, where wealth is is made is where you find value differentials. Mm. And generally, the more established and the more traditional a market is, the less value differential there is. So, you know, when somebody comes in, discovers a market. They can make a lot of profit, but eventually the, the market doesn't really like profit. So eventually competitors come up and that profit gets eroded as everyone chases that, that mm. space. So what, what's exciting to me about Asia is that there's just so much change happening here. There's so much growth. And so for me, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for, for companies to be a part of that, to take the knowledge and wisdom that they've gained in their their own markets 
and to apply that to to a new growth area. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I work with a number of companies that are, are launching in Asia and, and it's a lot of fun. Have you found that over the, the years that you've been involved here that uh, some of the trends and opportunities are evolving and changing rapidly or have you found that they're quite stable? I think there's the bigger macro trends which mm. are, are fairly stable insofar as, you know, there's there's a shift from rural to urban communities in Asia. There's a shift globally, but, but obviously here in Asia as well from mm. in terms of the demographics. We've got a, a, an aging population and, and there's a lot of opportunities coming up around that. Uh, there's a lot of challenges as well, but there's, there's a lot of opportunities. So, so you've got the bigger trends, which I think are just going to continue to go and, and to create large opportunities. Obviously, you've then got smaller trends. And I think the, the cycle of technology, how quickly things change, mean that, that it, it's a very dynamic and fluid. And, and you know, that's not specific to Asia. That's globally stuff. Yes stuff comes and comes and goes very quickly so there's a definitely a combination of of short-term and long-term opportunities yeah and so if you're thinking about some of the the current trends and opportunities what would you say i mean if someone is listening and they're in a particular business industry and they're kind of thinking well i wonder if that kind of opportunity is is there for me what would you say at the moment are some really great trends and really great opportunities ahead in, in asia for businesses I'll actually I'll provide you a, a link because every uh, about every six months I produce something called Asia Snapshots, which yes. is just a mashup of trends and data that's that's happening around the region. It's not very scientifically compiled. It tends to be the sort of stuff that that makes me go, "Oh, that's interesting." Mm. Well, actually, <laughs> um, I think uh, Callum, we, we we will put that link on our, our show notes, and that is the the slide share presentation that you you sent through. I think we'll, we'll definitely put that on the, um, the the show notes so people can can access that. Excellent. So, I mean, really, what what some of the the trends that come out of that? You know, there's some very, very interesting data around women in business. Um, so, and Asia is kind of a very amorphous market, but certainly certain markets in Asia are leading the way in terms of female entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. female board members, which, which is fantastic to see. Certainly within the business network that I run here in Singapore, uh, we're up to about three quarters of the the clients that we work with are, are run by women. Isn't that um, interesting? Whoa. Yeah. And, it's and, wonderful. And so I think, I mean, it's, it's fantastic and it's long overdue, but I think part of that is just that the barriers to entry to starting in business have dropped now, so it's becoming much easier for, mm-hmm. for women involved, which is, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, some, some other stuff that I think is really interesting is you can now talk about Asia as, as truly sort of being a mobile-first environment. So there's, there's one of the slides in the deck shows that in Malaysia, 30% of the population has only ever accessed the internet through their mobile phone. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's a really, when you kind of start to see that and and realize that that's not sort of a one-off that's the way it's going that's the the younger generation are coming up where that's all they've ever known is Mm. accessing through the mobile it does start to to make you question some some assumptions and and also to realize you know again some of the opportunities that come along with that so Mm -hmm. 
yeah, for me, those are two particularly interesting trends. But I just think there's a there's, there's obviously there's a lot of people in Asia. There's a lot of ambition, uh, really a, a huge amount of ambition here. And so, yeah, small business owners, business coaches, trainers, that there's great opportunities for them to come and share. Mm. share. Which is so very exciting because, you know, sometimes when you hear, you hear people talk about expanding their business into, you know, international domains, they very much talk about products, you know, manufacturing, you know, all that kind of thing. But it's, what you're saying, which is so exciting, is the service-based. And, I mean, your business, Fitness Buffet, a company that delivers employee wellness solutions. So I'm sure that a large component, if not most of it, was really supportive was the service-based industry, am I correct in assuming that? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So what, what we did with that was we took service-based businesses and we productized them. So yeah. in effect, Fitness Buffet is it's a book of experiences. So it's a book of vouchers that allows employees to go and try kickboxing, go and try yoga and go and yeah, all of these different fitness trends within their own city and, and find something that they enjoy doing. But mm-hmm. At its heart, it was taking what is a service business and, and turning it into a product. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think you're, you're right. Certainly when the last time I was in, in Australia, I remember talking to a lot of business owners that, that were keen to expand into Asia. But a lot of times they knew somebody that had done it and, you know, they'd been ripped off by a business partner or they'd, they'd had some, some struggle with it or they'd invested a lot and lost money. Mm. I think that the interesting thing now is that the tools exist so that it's much, much easier to come out here and test markets and, and you don't have to spend a lot of money. You know, it's it's very easy through services like Elance and you know, a lot of these services to, to put together a little team on the ground that can help you test and measure and, and launch. And, and look, I'm not, not going to sugarcoat it doing business in, in any new environment is full of challenges and you have to be willing to adapt and you know, work with the local market. But mm. having said that, it's not like it was you know, 10, 20 years ago when you would have to sort of bring your senior team over here and invest in big offices and factories and all of that sort of mm. stuff. A huge a, capital expense beforehand yeah. and that, that really for some smaller businesses just unfortunately is not not an option but now what you're saying is that that really has has kind of changed which is exciting to hear what about um i, I was just going to jump in and ask um, what about language uh it was an, i know a lot of our, our listeners are english speaking um service providers so if they're thinking about you know kind of expanding in into asia is there going to be a language barrier or are you finding that a, a lot of, of these countries you're talking about do tend to speak English? So, yeah, that's a good, good question. I, universally, England, English still remains the, the business language. Um, certainly where, where I'm based here in Singapore, English is the, is the main language. So uh, we often talk about, and, and I talked about it in the Asia Snapshots, that, that Singapore is a great launching pad for business we sort of joke that it's asia light it's you know it's got all of the potential of asia it but it's you know english language western law mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's a good good place to get started um but in most countries i mean i was in thailand for nine years and thailand's the thai is the dominant 
language there. But but again, most people are used to certainly at a, in a B two B level. Most people are used to doing business in English. Um, it definitely would have been easier on a number of occasions had my tie been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But generally, you, normally, you can find the team around you. It's it's, it's like, like any any business thing. If you can get the right people around you, then you can compensate for the weaknesses that that you have and focus on the strengths that you have. Yeah. As, as you're just sharing that, I recall a, uh, a story that one of my colleagues shared. They did training, NLP training, to various uh, Asian countries and they, they, uh, d- they delivered the training in English and they had two interpreters. One, I don't know what language, which say one was Thai and the other was another language. And so they would speak a couple of sentences and then you know one interpreter would share for, for part of the group and then the next interpreter would share in the other language and it was so funny when a joke was shared it kind of went around the room and they would just have to you know kind of stand there and wait and you had portions of the room that would laugh and then the next and then the next (laughs) so that was quite an interesting uh, challenge but but one of course that uh yeah I mean you know you have to when you're you're tapping into a a country whatever language uh they speak that you need to, to keep that in mind too all right I mean this is just a topic it's just so fascinating uh when we're you're thinking about or working with people who are thinking about coming across and doing uh, business and and setting up relationships in Asia. Can you share some of the common mistakes that you've seen so that at least we can kind of use this as a checklist of what not to do's? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the common mistake or one of the biggest mistakes, doesn't matter where where you go to in, in Asia, is people believing that the way business was done at home is the only way to do business. Mm. So, and which is, you know, it's perfectly understandable if you've grown up and everyone you know does business in that particular way. It's perfectly reasonable to assume that that's the way it is. Um, what you discover when you move to other countries is that actually that's not the way it is, and that there's lots of different ways of uh, different ways of skinning the cat. Yes. So, I, I think that the people that struggle are the ones that try very hard to um, insist that their way is the right way and uh, there's that you definitely have to uh, for example one of our criteria of companies that we work with that are inbound is that they're open to change Mm. um, so that they're prepared for us to be entrepreneurial on their behalf on the ground because there's uh, I mean even, even sort of within you know, within Australia, there's there's stuff that works on on the coast that isn't going to work inland, and there's stuff that works in Brisbane that wouldn't work in Melbourne, and that mm. sort of stuff. So, you've got that, but you've got that magnified, um, you know, a hundred times with with the different stuff that's happening with, with the different cultures, the different languages in Asia. So, you've got to have a flexibility that says, okay, I mean, this is this is the core idea. Um, this is the way it's worked at home, but that's not necessarily the way, you know, if we can get there a different way, uh, then, then we're open to looking at that. So I think that that's one of the, the key things people struggle with when they first get here is, is sort of trying to insist that their way is, is the best way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that that could would certainly be a pitfall. And when you, we were talking about different cultures and and different ways, expectations and so forth, I think going into any different country with a very narrow frame of mind, um, there's different models of the world, and I think we need to be very open, respect you know, respectful of that. 
and be able to to adapt and, and change. So very very important. Are there any other kind of common mistakes, or would you find, or do you say that that really is one of the key factors? Um, well, so look, the, the the one thing that that always comes up uh, is local employees. Mm. So the the interesting thing about that is, um, whichever country you're in, the CEOs will always say. You know that this this business is good, but I just can't get the the right team. Um, and what what you realise when you travel around is that every CEO says that no matter what country they're in, mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's the, the universal challenge of entrepreneurs is is getting the right team around them. Um, so I think what what tends to happen is people tend to kind of draw mass generalisations about the, the country that that they're in, um, and and actually. What I think you you find from from the good entrepreneurs that the the ones that are really successful in, in multiple countries is that that actually there are ambitious driven talented people in every country and uh, and and also there, there are people that are um, you know you can't trust or they're lazy in, in every country as well mm. so the the challenge is how do you attract the right people? into your organization and how do you make your organization attractive to those people bearing in mind there might be some different different cultural uh, subtleties there um, so I think what, again a, sort of a, a trend that I see a lot of is people that have been in Asia one or two years blaming the local population or blaming local staff mm-hmm. um, and, and look I'm, yeah, that, that happens in, in, in New Zealand, Australia, America and everywhere else so um, but but actually, I, I, my biggest learning from that, and, and certainly I was guilty of this when I first moved to Thailand, that the culture was so different from what I was used to in in the UK or in Europe. Um, and I remember thinking, well, it's it's just a it's a Thai thing um, that that yeah, it's just different different work ethics. But I used to go and and have a coffee at Starbucks and. What I would realise was that somehow Starbucks were managing to take Thai people and train them to be Starbucks staff, and they were just like Starbucks staff in mm. in any other country in the world. And you know, they were polite and courteous and efficient. and And it was a it was a big sort of wake up call to me that it it wasn't the local population that was the problem. It was me that was the problem. I mm. I wasn't doing <laughs> what was needed in order to get the best out of the, the staff. The so, yeah, um, yeah that's, that's certainly something that I've been through um, and, and I see other people go through. I think, uh, as you said and alluded to, so true that often it's not the individual team members or, or team members as a whole. It really is looking at the systems, uh, the processes in place and lack of communication often too, isn't it? And so, it's the leadership right. and it's like how, you know, what can we do? To, to really turn this around, what's what's missing, and uh, once you start looking at that, you realise, ah, oh, we have not created the right environment that allow our, our team to thrive. And this could very much be about attracting the right staff who appreciate and have similar values and, and therefore can be trained, as, as you just gave the example with Starbucks, be trained in the way to continue the culture, the ethics, and, and so forth, um, and to, yeah, to, to really bring that out to the, to the customer experience. Very, yep. very uh, good heads up about that. Now, I know one of the things that you have, have been saying through uh, through this interview and, and also what, what you do mention to, to your clients is the, the importance 
of partnerships, particularly when when we're looking at expanding overseas. Love for you to share in your words the importance of partnerships and, and, and just, you know, that role that partnership plays when we're looking at expanding into Asia. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of partnerships. Um, I think you, you and your audience might be familiar with the Key Person of Influence yes. program that's uh, very big in, in Australia and, and I've helped launch it here in Asia and partnerships is the fifth P of the, the five P's of sort of becoming a person of influence and it's really how you leverage everything up a level. Um, but it's also, I, I've always used partnerships as a way of building credibility and and one of the things when you launch in any new business or, or launch in a new country is that, understandably, your market's going to be sceptical. Yes. And, um, you know, the, there's just because it's, it's worked in a different country. Um, so if we, if we take Key Person of Influence as an example, it's been very successful in the UK, US, Australia. But when, when I help them to launch here in, in Singapore understandably, the local market was like, well, yeah, but there's no guarantee that that's going to work in, in Asia. So one of the ways that I've always done or used partnerships is to, is to build credibility. And it's, it's oftentimes that I've, you know, I've got a new book coming out, which is sort of talks around this. And, and you, um, we have a term called the, the value ladder, mm. which is most, most people try and focus on who their ideal partner would be. So, you know, you could say, well, look, if we could just partner with a David Beckham and a MasterCard, um, you know, this, <laughs> this business would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, yet, funnily enough, they're, they're not re- returning the phone calls. <laughs> Funny uh, that. So, <laughs> so, so the way I, I teach clients and, and the way I work with, with my business is, is to really start at the bottom of the, the ladder and just build – Start with any partnership at all that you can do that will just get things moving. Um, and even if you're not particularly fussed about what that partnership can bring, it's your first rung on, on the ladder. And you can now use that to go to another partner and say, hey, look, I'm working with these guys, but we're also interested in working with you. Um, so the way I've done that, I used to run a business networking event and I still use business networks and communities as a, as a great marketing tool for, for my companies. Um, so we might go to a magazine and say, look, would you mind if we give some back copies of your magazine out to, to people that attend our networking event? That's about as easy a level partnership as, as you can ever do, right? Mm. The, the magazines are more than happy to get rid of back copies. Yes. Um, it's, it's really no, no skin off their, their nose. Um, it doesn't actually provide much value for you either, but you're it's just... It's that relationship, the, isn't it? It's a relationship. It's the first step. And it mm. then means that when you go to the bar that you want to, to host your networking event, you can say you've already got a relationship with, with such and such magazine and they're going to be providing magazines. And it just starts to build up that credibility. And, and so that bar says, well, okay, we'll, we'll, um, you know, we'll give you the, the space and we'll give you half-priced drinks for the duration. So now, now you've got a venue. So, so then you can leverage that up by going to another company and saying, look, um, you know, this time in a year, I, I'd like to ask you to be one of our main sponsors, but at this point, I don't want you to, 
to invest any money. Um, I'm just going to give memberships to all of your your staff so that they can come along, or some of your customers so they can come along to our networking event, see what it's like, um, and then in a year's time we can talk about whether you actually want to come on board as a proper sponsor. Mm. Um, so again, very, very easy thing for them to say yes to, but now you've got a database of people that know about your event, and, and then you can go sort of on to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And, and, and I've used that, that, that value ladder of um, just un- understanding that the partnerships you, you, you make are really a stepping stone to build credibility for the next partnership, and, and you just keep going up until such time um, and it often doesn't take long, but until such time as those target customers, you're maybe not your David Beckhams and your MasterCards of the world, but, but the tier one companies um, contact you because they've seen that there's so much stuff happening yeah, in the market. Yeah, there's buzz that's going on there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and it's, it's the same when you go into a new country. Um, just by doing doing really simple, easy partnerships where you're giving up, uh, you know, you're not looking for a huge amount of value. You're just looking for that first rung on the ladder. Um, it's, it's an incredibly powerful way to, to build credibility and, and progress. Mm, I love that idea. And uh, thank you for, for sharing that snapshot of, of the value ladder, the partnership value ladder. As you, you, you're explaining that, it's like, yeah, that makes absolute sense. And why not? Would, why would not people want to, to get on board that way? And I think sometimes we look at things and make it just too hard. Whereas here we are reaching, reaching out, establishing that relationships. We're creating an environment that it makes it a very easy yes for people to get in, involved in and, and say yes to, uh, and keeping it very simple. Yet with you know, so often simplicity and the simple things can have the greatest results. You know, incredible exactly. results. And I'm sure you've got lots of, you'll have lots of uh, great examples to, to share in, in your book. So talk a little bit about uh, mergers and acquisitions and why you think it's so important for small business owners. Yeah, so this is a really interesting one. And this actually came through, um, I, was, I was introduced to a gentleman called Jeremy Harbour who has uh, went but basically became my mentor in, in all things uh, mergers and acquisitions. And, and partly it came from... I actually I recently wrote wrote an article saying that every entrepreneur should buy a business as like the the top thing on their task list should be go out and buy a business. And the the reason I said that was that most small business owners we obsess all day long about customer value, right? That's, mm. that's, that's our thing. How, how do we create more value for the customer? How do we generate enough value that we can charge more, more money? And so all the time we're thinking about customer value. And we very rarely think about shareholder value. And we, we sort of assume that we understand it because generally we're the majority shareholder and we kind of get, well, you know, if, if the company's doing well, then surely my value, my shareholder value is going up. One of the things that happens when you go and, and buy a business is when it comes to investing your cold, hard cash in somebody else's business, you look at it in a very, very different light. So you go into the business and you, you start asking questions like, why have you got that member of staff that you've had for six years when 
she, clearly she's not actually contributing anything to the business. So, mm. um, or why have you got that client that uh, I get it, that was your first client, but you're actually losing money every time you service that client. Um, so, so you kind of have a very critical look of it and, and the, there's a couple of reasons why that's, that's great. The first reason I think is that for most small business owners, um, we know that our own business is held together with chicken wire and masking tape, right? We, we know that that's uh, like we're, we're only ever one bad decision away from the, the thing collapsing. Yet when we look at everybody else's business, they all look so polished and yes. perfect and, and stuff. So one of the great things about going and doing due diligence on somebody else's business is that you get to see that, well, actually, you're yeah. probably not oh, we're doing not as bad as what we thought we were. <laughs> so, so that's very valuable in and of itself. But also, you, you go out, you look at it with this critical eye, and then you go, you can't help but go back and look at your own business with the same critical eye. And, and you sort of go, wow, why am I still servicing that client when mm. I lose money? Why, why do I have that department that, that really isn't adding any value to the company. Um, so what, what happens is I think you become a much, much better entrepreneur uh, through going, going through that, that process of due diligence. And, and actually, like, you don't even need to have bought the company to do, do due diligence. So it doesn't need to be something that, that's cost you a lot of money to do. Um, but the, the learning that you get is huge. Mm. And Jeremy Harbour sort of taught me, taught me some of this. He, he runs programs called the Harbour Club where he takes 10 business owners and he's actually bought and sold more than four companies. And most of the time he, he doesn't actually buy, when, when he goes in to take over a company, he, he will buy it for no more than, than one pound or one dollar. Um, wow. And, and yeah, so oftentimes they're sometimes they're distressed companies. Other times they're just the business owners had enough. They, they mm. you know, maybe they've taken on some debt and it's just getting too much, or you know, they're just fed up with it. Yeah. And so, so Jeremy can come in, can turn the business around, um, and just having that sort of fresh, fresh set of eyes uh, really makes a difference. And it, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things that just keeps coming up is that. Entrepreneurs are very, very good at seeing what's wrong in other people's yeah. businesses. Yeah, <laughs> when they're staring into their own business. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just because you're so close to it. Yes. It's, it's the woods for the trees thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I've sort of become a, a huge advocate of, of companies, uh, business owners and entrepreneurs starting to think more like business owners um, or even investors than than actual entrepreneurs because mm. it uh, I think it makes you a, makes you a much better entrepreneur in terms of understanding the end game and and really understanding that actually your biggest customer is potentially the guy that's going to the guy woman that's that's going to buy the business at the end so everything else is really in the service of that if you're looking to to exit your business so yeah. you, you need to start understanding what, what they're actually wanting to buy. Uh, and and delivering that, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a very you know it's that old that, that old adage too about you know if you, you you're thinking about your house uh, and how many uh, wives complain that all of a sudden all the old the, the jobs that have been left for you know the the I don't know the roof that needed repairing and the thing the office that needed repainting all of a sudden gets done just to, before the the house goes on the market to get sold and I think when yeah. we look at it to the same example of the business when you think someone is 
going to come through and have a look at the, you know, the paperwork, the systems, everything with a fine tooth comb. It really does have you step up and, and be very accountable and, and start looking at, at, at it from the eyes of a perspective in, in, in uh, you know, p- purchaser, buyer and uh, and certainly yeah. get uh, into action. Just, just, mm. just one thing. One thing on that, which is which is critical, which is this idea of intellectual property, which um, again KPI talks a lot about. Small business owners generally we just keep stuff in our heads, and so if you know that, uh, oftentimes just by starting to write stuff down, like the way your customers should be dealt with, the way staff should be welcomed when they when they you're know, onboarding them, yeah, and putting together a, a folder of processes and just writing that stuff down yeah there's just that alone can double the value of your business mm. because it makes it that much easier for someone else to come in and, and take over so yeah yeah, yeah. so it's really interesting as someone myself who loves systems and I'll often drive some of my colleagues nuts because when we talk about something I'll draft something up and say oh here's another system I said you know what you're going to thank be very thankful one day because when we want to go back what was that that we said or but what you can't track and monitor you cannot change and improve you know and and when you talk about um, in the context of what we're talking about today very valuable (laughs) that's right you can't just show someone your head and your mind it's all in here no uh, that's not not going to work. Callum, this has been such an interesting topic. It, it really, uh, really, really is. If people are listening today and you've really tweaked their curiosity, hmm, maybe my business could, yeah, potentially expand in, in, into Asia. How can they learn more about you? How can they uh, get some of the, these cool resources that you've spoken about today? Yeah, so easiest thing is just come come to my website, callumlang.com, or on Twitter, I'm Lang Callum, and uh, yeah, just tap tap me up, drop me an email, drop me a tweet, um, and yeah, always always keen to to connect with cool businesses and and see whether we can help them get launched here. Terrific. Well, thank you so much again for uh, sharing your expertise. We'll put all of the details uh, on the show notes so that people can go and and grab those cool resources that you uh, you shared. Great. Thanks very much, Emery. So there you go. If you're looking at uh, the possibility of expanding into Asia, make sure you go and grab uh, the report, uh, those you know, incredible resources uh, that Callum puts together. We've got them over on our show notes. So ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com forward slash AES152. You can, uh, we'll put the links there. If this is the very first time that you've joined us on the show, look, it's been such an honour to, to spend the last 30 minutes with you. Remind you to subscribe to our iTunes channel every week we have another guest expert to share their brilliance with you to support you in taking your business to the next level you can do that by going to ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com forward slash AES iTunes for now have a fantastic week and look forward to connecting with you again next week bye for now been listening to the ambitious entrepreneur show do you want to promote your business to tens of thousands of other ambitious entrepreneurs both nationally and internationally i invite you to reach out and learn more about our customized sponsorship packages by emailing be a sponsor at ambitious network.com that's be a sponsor at ambitious network.com and we'll send you out further details
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.